This morning we're going to continue on in our study in the book of Colossians. And if you have your Bible, your scripture, you want to open up to that, please go ahead and do that. Now I want you to know that I love Jesus with all my heart. I love him with all my heart, and I hope that you do too. I mean, we sing praises to him because of what he has done for us. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget just what we've been saved from. And, you know, this morning I want you to understand that I want to I exalt Christ. I want to lift Christ up. I want Christ to come into full focus uh, for you uh, this morning because of what he has done and who he is. You know, one of the problems that we seem to have people always seem to have is, is concerning, um, you know, when we talk about wisdom and knowledge and, and how that applies to our daily living. Because we don't always make great choices. And the things that we do kind of trip us up and it keeps us from being all that we could be. And sometimes we, we, we don't understand the, the relation between wisdom and knowledge in our daily life. And the real question we want to know is, what do we do with all the knowledge that we accumulate? How do, we, how do we apply that? How do we put that into our life? We have lots of knowledge. And we have more and more knowledge at our fingertips every single day. But how do we apply that? How do we, what do we do with all of that? And what I want you to understand is uh, in the book of Colossians, some of the folks in the church at Colossae, they, they claimed that they had the answer uh, <laughs> to life and that the answer to life was in the accumulation of knowledge. The answer to life was in the accumulation of knowledge, and it became the basis for the right relationship with God. In other words, you had to have the right knowledge in order to have the right relationship with God. You know, I recently read a story about uh, uh, Joseph Stalin, and um, he once was eating a meal, and someone came up to him and asked, he said, how can you inflict such pain upon your people? And uh, he continued to eat, and then he said, bring me a live chicken. And so they brought him a, a chicken, and he was sitting there with the chicken at the table, and he began to stroke the chicken, and then he began to pull feathers out of this chicken. And it was, the, the chicken was struggling, and it was, it was clearly in pain, and he, he ended up plucking all of the feathers off of this chicken, and then he set it down, and he, he picked up some bread, and he walked a short distance away. And pretty soon, this chicken hobbled over to where he was and, and was kind of around his pant legs there trying to, to get some warmth there. And he reached down his hand with the, the bread and the chicken began to peck the bread out of his hand. Stalin said, there's your answer. If you want a chicken to follow you for life, you must inflict pain on it and it will follow you for food the rest of its life. See, I would submit to you that people are like that chicken. If you inflict pain on them, they will follow you for food the rest of your life. You know, humanity, society, governments have sure come up with some bizarre ways and ideas to get people to follow them. But listen, God doesn't have a system of pain or control or manipulation to get something from us. Instead, God did something for us rather than to us. 
know, Colossians 1, verse 15 through 17 may be the highest Christological, you know, Christ-centered statement in the Bible. But it's not easy to understand because there's kind of some strange words and phrases that are strange to our ears, but they would have been well known to the Colossian Christians. You remember when Paul wrote this book, the book of Colossians, he was not writing in a vacuum. He was writing to meet a specific need in the Colossian church. You see, a heresy was beginning to enter that church called Gnosticism, which means knowledge. And the the followers of this heresy were, were called Gnostics, and it means the intellectual ones. And these Gnostics were not satisfied with the simple truths of Christianity. So they developed a philosophy of salvation which combined Greek philosophy and Judaism, the, the legalism of Judaism and Asian uh, mysticism in with Christianity. They, they mixed it all together. And this system of thought was very extensive. And the Gnostics taught that, that they had the only way to God. And it could only be entered by secret mysteries and passwords and rituals which were only known by the Gnostics. So if you want to go to God, then you've got to do it the way that I tell you. It was an elite society and a very intellectual aristocracy. But Paul countered with the argument that Christ, that Jesus Christ is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Jesus Christ is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. How could he make that claim about Jesus Christ? Read with me in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 13. We're going to read down through verse 20, and then we're going to add verse 28. It says this, it says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son." In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure that all the fullness, for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And then verse 28 says, we proclaim. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Loving Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Father, that even in this moment, your Holy Spirit would, would just convict our hearts, that you would lead us and guide us into all truths, that you would teach us exactly what you desire us to know from this passage. 
Father, that you would just lead us into your truth. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I love this passage. And the Apostle Paul, he presented uh, three elevating, three lifting, three exalting statements, if you will, uh, about the involvement of Christ in the entire creative process, the actions of God to support his claim about, God, about Jesus being about all wisdom and knowledge, the source of that. So no matter how puzzling... Uh, the effort might seem between uh, putting Christian theology and reasoning together, uh, the responsibility per, to pursue that effort is definitely on those who preach the Word of God. I mean, it's our job to put those together, reason and what God's Word says. And there seems to be a popular theory among some people that an intelligent mind and a warm evangelistic heart um, cannot occupy the same body. But Paul was living proof that that is not the truth. See, I believe it is of some of the greatest importance that our concept, our concept of the world and its meaning be in the terms of, of spiritual things that have been clarified so that we see clearly and, and, and confirmed in God's self-revelation where he opens himself up and he shows us Christ. He shows us who he is through Christ. And that's really what this passage is talking about. Who Jesus Christ is. The first thing that Paul says about this here is that Jesus Christ is, I want to say, the firstborn of all creation. Now we need to understand that because not in the sense that he is part of creation, but in the sense that he is over creation. Okay, he is firstborn over creation. The word firstborn, you know, at, at our glance in, in English, uh, seems to indicate that Christ was created, that he was born. But in Hebrew and Greek, the, that, those languages, it does not mean first uh, created, but firstborn. And there's two connotations that go with that, and I want to share these with you. One is priority. It means that he is first, not, not firstborn. The word can mean first in time, and it indicates that Christ was prior to all created beings. He is the firstborn of all creation. He was the firstborn in time. He was before all things were created. John 1 verse 3 says this. It says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He is before creation. Christ existed before creation. He came before matter and was and before matter was created, and, and therefore matter cannot be eternal like the Gnostics were saying it was. So when we think about this, there's logic here. As the firstborn, Christ was prior to all things. Since Christ existed prior to all things, he must be uncreated. Since he is uncreated, he must be eternal, and since he is eternal, he must be God. You follow the, the logic there. Now I think that's huge because when we think about Christ, he is God. He is first in priority. He was there before creation. Second is sovereignty. We talked about that. Firstborn can also indicate honor or sovereignty. You know, in Psalm 89, verse 27, 
there's a promise regarding the Messiah. And it says, I will also appoint my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of earth. You see, Messiah was to be given a place of honor, a place of sovereignty as ruling over all the kings of the earth. And that's what it's talking about, the firstborn. I will appoint my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. In Romans 8, 29, we read about Christ. It says that he might be the firstborn among the brethren, referring to his resurrection from the dead, that he was the first one to come back to life from the dead and rise from the dead. So, so what's my point in all this? At firstborn, as the firstborn, Christ is ruler. He is sovereign over all creation. Christ was and is always the firstborn of all creation. Not the first created, not created at all, but the, the, the creator indeed. He is the one who created. He is sovereign. He is ruler. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the Lord of heaven. I love that. Without him was not anything made that was made. You know, Dr. Carl Henry, theologian, he was asked how he would translate this phrase. And this is his answer. He said it should be translated, he is the primeval creator of all created things. He is the creator. He is the one who spoke it into being. Jesus is the one who spoke it into being. See, and Paul is saying that Christ, that Christ is supreme, that he's absolutely sufficient, he's absolutely plenty, he's absolutely abundant for salvation of all of humanity. I mean, he is not, he is not, the, uh, just, he's not one link in the chain between God and people. He is the link between God and people. You know, I want to point out also in this passage, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, the word image here was used of a stamp to recreate an image to, you know, maybe, maybe a stamp or something on a coin. You pull a coin out of your pocket, it has a, a president's head on it, and it's, it's you know, engraved there. It's, it's minted on that coin, and it's a, it's a, it, it's, that's what this word means, the image. It was the word icon, and it's also used of a portrait. But when we think about the concept of image, what that involves is three things. The first one is likeness. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the exact likeness of God. The exact likeness of God. A mirror image. Jesus himself said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. When he talks about he is the image of the invisible God. That's what it's talking about. He's the likeness of God. He's the image, the exact image. But it also talks about representation. I mean, Christ represents God to us. And Paul declared that the historic figure of Jesus of Nazareth was none other than the preexistent Christ who was before creation, who is also co-eternal with the Father meaning they were there when it was spoken to being Jesus Christ. He's the likeness, he's the, the, the representation, he's also the manifestation. I mean, Christ makes God known to us. 
John 1.18, out of the message, it says this. It says, no one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression referring to Jesus, who exists at the very heart of the Father, has made him as plain as day. I love that. You know, Genesis 1.27 tells us that God made man, made humanity in his image. And Christ is the image of God. See, Paul is saying this. He's saying, look, look at Christ. He not only shows you what God is like, he shows you what humanity was meant to be. In the flesh, the incarnation. See, God is invisible and he does not, that does not mean he merely does not appear before our physical eyes, but it also means that he's unknowable. In the exalted Christ, the unknowable God becomes known. You see, because Jesus reveals God, because Jesus is God. Okay, moving on to number two here. Jesus Christ is also the Lord of the universe. He's the invisible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. But verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. I mean, Paul uses these three prepositional phrases. <laughs> by through and for. The originator, Jesus Christ is the originator. He is, it is by him. Christ was the conditioning cause of all of creation. He's the one that made it happen. It is by him, and that's what Paul is saying. For by him, all things were created. <laughs> that's my king. That's the Lord I serve. The one who spoke this world into being. He is the originator. He is the one who by him created all things. But also he is the agent. It says there through him all things stand created. Meaning they remain created <laughs> through him. He's the one holding it all together. I love that because it's through him. And then we see the goal there for him. Everything in the universe finds final and ultimate meaning in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the goal of history. You think about this. The turning point in all of history was when Christ came and lived on this earth. And you know what? He's coming again. He's coming back. He's returning. I love that. You know, we talk about he created all things. They were by him. All things were created and all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. You know, David Guzik, he, uh, he highlighted a few of those all things that Jesus created. Think about this with me. Comets, those things in outer space, comets have vapor trails up to 10,000 miles long 
vapor trails. If you could capture all of that vapor from the vapor trail and put it into a bottle, the amount of vapor present in the bottle would take less than one cubic inch. 10,000 miles long into one cubic inch. My king created that. Saturn's rings, 500,000 miles in circumference. Yet they're only a foot thick. Who knew? But our God created that. A star known as LP 327-186 is called a white dwarf. And it's smaller, it's a star. It's smaller than the state of Texas. But it is so dense that if you took one cubic inch of it and you brought it here to earth, it would weigh more than 1.5 million tons. We have nothing that dense here on this earth. Did you know there are more insects in one square mile of rural land than there are people on this earth? Did you know that a single human chromosome contains 20 billion bits of information? One single human chromosome. How much information is that? If it was written down and put in a a language and put into books, it would be 4,000 volumes of books. 4,000 books. That's a lot of information in one human chromosome. You see, that's our Lord. That's our King. He is the one who created all of this. To our world who is desperately searching for meaning, we can confidently proclaim Jesus Christ as the answer to the question of life. Because he spoke it all into being. Thirdly, I would say this. Jesus Christ is the cohesive power of the universe. He is the one holding it all together. I love that. For uh, He says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. You know, according to A.T. Robertson, he said that all things were created has the idea of stand created or remain created. In other words, the permanence of the universe rests more on Jesus Christ than it does on gravity. <laughs> you know, some of you have probably seen Louis Giglio's uh, sermon on uh, how great is our God. And in that, he talks about a certain protein molecule, laminin, that holds our cells together. And if you go all the way down to the molecular level, this thing looks like a cross. It reminds us that Jesus is the one holding it all together. It's interesting, if you Google that, Louis Louis Giglio on um, YouTube, How Great Is Our God, there's about a 40-minute presentation and you'll love watching it, but um, it's about laminin. But he holds everything together. But you see, it's the presence of Jesus Christ in history that makes our universe intelligible. It makes us be able to understand more about our universe. And understand this, that the goal of Christ as the source of wisdom and knowledge is found in verse 28. 
Verse 28 says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Notice the words every man three times there. Speaks of the fact that the preachers of error in Colossae, they said that only the intellectuals could come to have that knowledge. And Paul is saying here, no, it's available to everyone. Everyone can understand this. See, Paul's magnificent obsession was to warn every person, to teach every person, to present every person complete in Christ. This was Paul's hope and dream, that that others would know Jesus the way he knows Jesus. For many of us, that may not be our obsession. That may not be our passion, is so that others would know who Jesus Christ is. You know, William Barclay, he said this, he said, there are gifts a man will never possess. There are privileges a man will never enjoy. There are heights of the world's attainment that a man will never scale. But to every man there is open the good news of the gospel, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, and the transforming power which can bring holiness into our lives. Folks, that's the reality. And that's the goal. Wisdom and knowledge are properly linked together. Wisdom is the comprehensive view of the truth that God has given by His Holy Spirit, while knowledge is understanding of those truths. <laughs> what a perfect foundation for our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, not in the government, not in your bank account. Not in having enough to eat, not enough in having security, not enough in all these other areas. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And this is the foundation upon which that hope sets. He is the image of God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's spoken into being. He has priority. He has sovereignty. Man, if this doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. Because he is my Lord, he is my Savior, and I don't have to worry about tomorrow because I know who my Redeemer is and that he lives today. Thank you. Verse 27, I just want to point this out. It says, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Folks, heaven is more than a destination. It's a motivation because Christ lives in us. It's a living hope that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1.3. He said, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That should affect how we think and how we live all day long. A living hope. Because Christ is within us, we don't need to fear what is ahead of us. See, we must, we must know Christ in three ways. Think about this. Christ for me. Christ for me. Christ dying on the cross for me. 
We need to know Christ in that way. Christ for me is my substitution. He's the sacrifice for my sins. Christ for me is the only acceptable standing before Almighty God. When you stand before Almighty God, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. Christ for me, we must know him in that way. But we must also know Christ in me. Him living in my heart. This is my sanctification. This is where I begin. My life begins to be transformed. And this is how he gives me victory over the sin in my life. is because he lives inside of me. But then thirdly, it's Christ through me. Christ speaking to others by my life. Christ through me. This is in my service. This is in my sufficiency. It's, it's, it's all that I am and all that I have that belong to him. But you see, Christ through me is the only real power that we have for ministry. If it is not Christ working through you, you're going to fail every time. But if Christ is working through you, then that is all that we need. Because his Holy Spirit will take that and use that and multiply that. Paul says his goal is that every man complete. Everybody. You know what? This is huge because it means that the doors have been flung wide open. The doors have been flung wide open and all are invited. Everyone is invited to enter. And this shows that the gospel is for everyone. All nations, all capacities, rich and poor, old and young, respectable and outcast, peer and peasant. Because even with so many differences, there's one same sin, there's one same heart, there's one same need, and therefore we have one same salvation in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, our praise team is going to come up here. And they're going to lead us in another song and a a time of response. I want to read Philippians 2, where it talks about why Jesus has this exalted name. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed In the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow 
of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We either do that voluntarily now, or one day we will not have a choice. Every knee will bow. You know, I choose to come willingly and say, Lord Jesus, you are king over all. You call the shots. You're in my life. You call the shots in my life. And if you've never acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that. Our time on this earth is very brief. And we don't know what's going to happen. But we do have opportunity because we have today and we have right now. If you have never confessed him as your Lord and Savior, if you have never prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart, I invite you to do that this morning. If you want someone to pray with you, I would love to pray with you. I'll be sitting, standing right down here. You come down, I'll pray with you. I will introduce you to my best friend. You know, we only have one go through in this life. And one day, either we give up the ghost and we perish and we die, or Jesus returns. But I know this either way, I don't want to be found without Christ. And neither do you. So as we pray, I invite you, examine your heart. See if he's in there. See if you know that he is for you, that he is in you, and that he is through you. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, you are our king and we're so thankful that you are, that all power, that all glory, that all honor belongs to you. We don't worship something that humanity created. We worship a God that, is, that spoke this world into being. Father, when we consider how great and how vast you are, we feel so insignificant. Father, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We're all stained by, by sin. But God, you made a way. And we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Father, guide us into that truth today. That as we examine our hearts, as we understand that, Father, that we would be found in you complete. Guide us in this time of response. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.